The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive industry and its supporting ecosystem, and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers or you want to drive with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Okay, here's the buzz. The cars we drive say a lot about us. I didn't say that, but I think it's true. It's a statement I found from Alexandra Paul, an American actress, activist, health coach, and former model. So let's get started. 100-plus years of automotive industry investment in the cars we drive, the cars we want to drive, the cars we envy, the cars we used to drive. Hey, we've seen an evolution, we've seen a revolution, and many, many miles traveled. Here on the Future of Cars with Game Changers, this is Episode 10 of Season 1, and Larry Stoley, our sponsor at SAP, has assured me he's coming back for Season 2. So we're going to do a little bit of celebration, but we're also going to take a look back through the proverbial rearview mirror and a look ahead at what's coming up the pike. I won't even say down the pike. So our three panelists today, Larry Stoley from SAP, Heather Ashton from IDC, and Otto Shell from GM, they're all familiar names to you because they've all been on many, many episodes this season. They're going to review what's happened in past episodes, what we've talked about, you know, driverless cars and the future of automotive and and OEMs and what's happening in the industry. And we're going to do some more predictions, probably a little more than usual. So I will say, as always, the experts speak. I've already told you who they are. So let me get started. Larry Stoley, Senior Global Director of Automotive Marketing at SAP, sent me a quote from Mark Fields. Those of you who don't know who Mark Fields is, I think you need to. He's the CEO of Ford, F-O-R-D. He's been in the automotive news. There's a special article September 19th this year, 2016. And let me just read a little bit from that. Ford Motor Company has to transition from a car company into a mobility company because the global transportation market and consumers' attitudes are changing. That's what he said a lot more. Let me read the quote. He said, It's not about moving from an old business to a new business. It's about moving to a bigger business. Larry Stoley, welcome back. How have you been, Larry? Very well, Bonnie. How about you? Oh, I'm great. I'm happy to be driving a car I love, by the way, and I'm not looking. (laughs) I'm looking back at the history of the cars I've owned, and I'm looking forward to keeping on driving my car. So there's my statement. There's my my line in the sand. So tell me about this quote. Very interesting. Moving from an old business to a new business, moving to a bigger business. How how does Mark Fields envision this, Larry? And what does this have to do with our look back and forward at automotive today? You know, Bonnie, when I started in the automotive business, I was a technician. I was working on cars. And, you know, it was very clear to me back then, you know, that, you know, the service side of the business, providing services, uh, there was a lot of 
a lot of profitability in it, and so on. And, you know, it's not so much about who said this, but the gravity of the statement is relatively profound. And what it really says is, you know, and this is reading between the lines, obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, building cars doesn't have so much profitability in it. You know, we have huge costs. You know, manufacturing is costly. Materials are costly. Labor is costly. You see all those indicators, and you see them everywhere you look in the automotive industry. But what he's saying, what he's really saying is, you know, providing mobility, providing mobility services have greatly, greater Profit margins, greater margins of profitability. You make more money delivering services than you do delivering product. So what he's saying is, we got to deliver product. That's not going to change. But the more services we can provide and deliver that take care of our customers' mobility needs, the more profitability there is to share, and the more profitability there is to to have the more we can reinvest, the faster we can move forward, the better services we can provide. It's a never-ending circle. Profitability feeds investment, feeds innovation. So, you know, that's, that's really the gravity of what was said. It's less about who said it and more about what does that really mean? And it's all about services have profitability, and customers will pay for that willingly. That's that's right. And let me read one more thing from the article, Larry, to support what you said. Uh, Field said, the world has moved from just owning vehicles to owning and sharing them. And that has driven Ford to rethink its entire business model. The business is no longer about how many cars Ford can sell, but what services it can provide. There you go. So thank mm-hmm. you very much, Larry. Great, great intro. And uh, can I read one more thing from the article? I think a, a couple sure. of numbers here. Do you mind? The, he said, the global middle class is expected to double by 2030. Now, here we are, 2016, almost 2017, not that far off. Air quality concerns are growing and causing significant health concerns. Meanwhile, 30 new vehicles are sold in the U.S. every minute. And in that same minute, 7 million miles are driven. But people are also using 125,000 taxis and ride-sharing services every minute, and they download 350,000 apps. The world is changing, and it's changing very quickly. Do you agree with all that, Larry? Yeah, I do. The only, the only challenge that I have in, in being fully supportive of that is the pace of change. We have to be con, you know, really cognizant of it's going to change slower than we might hope, but it is going to change. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. The times they are changing. Thank you, Larry. And thanks for putting together this great season. I've really enjoyed speaking with you and, and a lot with our next two guests. So Heather Ashton, you're up next. She's a research manager at IDC Manufacturing Insights. And Heather has sent a quote from Richard George Rogers, also known as Baron Rogers of Riverside, with lots of letters after his name, born in July 1933. He's a British architect noted for his modernist and functionalist designs in high-tech architecture, best known for his work on the Pompidou Centre Center in Paris, the Lloyds Building, and Millennial Millennium Dome, both in London, the Senate in Cardiff, and the European Court of Human Rights Building in Strasbourg. He won the RIBA Gold Medal, Thomas Jefferson Medal, the Reba Sterling Prize, the Minerva Medal, and the Pritzker Prize, and he's a senior partner in a firm. Here's the quote Heather has selected from, I will say, the Baron. Cities are about juxtaposition. Cities depend on a healthy mix of uses and people for their vitality. Heather Ashton, welcome back. How have you been? 
Very well, Bonnie. Thank you for having me again. We're delighted. We couldn't do a season finale without you, Heather, from IDC. So thank you very much for being available. Heather, why this quote today? We're talking about cars now. We're talking about cities, use cases, vitality. Why don't you wrap it up for me? Tie it up. Sure. And you just had a great um, lead in for me when you mentioned that the quotes about air quality and the global population growing. And, you know, as Larry said, it's not going to happen as quickly as we think it is, but it is happening. It's inevitable. And the most important thing, I, why I chose this specific quote because of the person who said the quote is we need an architect. We need many architects. We need architects on the technology side, on the city side, on the you know, human and population growth side to really understand what is the future of mobility and how can we plan to make it work the most for everybody, right, for the environment, for the people, for the OEMs, for the cities, you know, all, all of this together. But we really do need to take that kind of higher level view and get above all the different sort of groups and really architect sort of the future of mobility. Never think of architecture in terms of, I think of it in terms of buildings, but not cities and certainly not cars. Thank you. Very interesting uh, positioning there, Heather. I appreciate that. And now let's bring on Otto Shell, global SAP business architect. There's the word architect right in Otto Shell's title. I missed it. And SAP Center of Excellence lead at GM. And Otto has selected a very interesting quote this time from a company, not from a person or a movie or a play or a book. It's from Brio or Briosum. Some people might call it. I have the website brio.us. It is the world's leading manufacturer of wooden toys. And I'll read a little bit before I get to the quote. I, from their website, it says, Toys that trigger more than giggles. Times have changed, but the way kids learn and develop remains the same. That's why our toys come with clean, simple designs that spark children's creativity and imagination, all while encouraging and supporting each stage of their development. By the way, Brio was found in 1884 in Osby in southern Sweden. The small family-run business has grown into a global Brio AB with subsidiaries in Germany, France, Japan, and global distributors. And their portfolio consists of toys, but also games for the whole family under the brand Alga, A-L-G-A. And their headquarters now is in has been in Malmo, Sweden. I was there in, since 2006. Here's the quote Otto has selected. Our products stimulate children of all ages. Otto Oh, Shell, what an interesting quote. How are you? I'm doing very well. And, uh, yeah, it's always a challenge to pick the right quote for the show. <laughs> but um, in, in, my other role, in my other role as uh, in DZAC, we, we, we do a lot of things in the IoT world. And what comes out is that uh, people really need to think in the simple ways. And you did the quote from the Internet page, simple, connect, global. And uh, when you see the picture I delivered about this nice uh, city uh, built by Brio, and this is very simple, and it can translate it very simple to outdoors. Why? Brio has uh, two standards. One, how to put the lanes together where the, the trains drive, and the second is that every train can connect globally with a magnet. So you can put them very simply together. And when we talk about cities, autonomous, more and more the question came, comes up, if, how can this work when we don't work on global standards very closely together, when OEMs don't work on how can I connect one OEM to another OEM car because at a certain point in time they will drive autonomous behind each other in a queue. When we don't talk about uh, how do we get this uh, in line with what cities are doing, who is paying the bills for getting the environments done. and. 
I think the simple word, our products stimulate children of all ages, is exactly what about. We started this year with, with passion about cars, and I was saying I want to drive in the back. Uh, it doesn't care if there's a driver or not. Larry was talking about, hey, I want to still feel my car, I want to polish it. So there's, mm-hmm. this, this is all about, but at the end of the day, it's, it's bringing us back to the simple question. How can we simplify standards to make this happen? I like that. I knew you would get to that point very eloquently and elegantly done, Otto Shell. I never expected a quote from a toy company from you, and we got to, got to have enough episodes to get around to that. Otto, you always do a great job picking quotes, so bravo on a season of those. So let's circle back to Larry Stolle. Larry, where are you today, and what's in your cup that's getting all this brain power going? What gets you going in the morning? Well- you know, the interesting question to that, Bonnie, I was supposed to be up in uh, Mackinac Island today, but uh, because of pressing work events, I decided to forego a couple of days of vacation. So I'm home office today again. And to the question of what's in my cup, well, there's nothing in my cup this morning, Bonnie. I drank it dry. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm uh, you know, without well, what was it before you drank it, Larry? It was well, there my must have been usual something in there. Black Folgers coffee, you know, not a stimulant. It doesn't do that for me. It's a habit, but uh, one I rather enjoy. So, okay, we'll let you enjoy that then. I'm always happy to hear Folgers, and I think you're the only one on all of our Game Changer series who drinks Folgers out of a couple thousand people over the past five Unique. years. So. That's why I ask you every time, what are you drinking? We never get tired of hearing that. Thank you. You, you are a standard bearer. There you go. There you go. Let's, Heather Ashton, where are you today? And anything uh, unusual in the cup you're drinking from? I'm a little north of Boston, and um, I have my, my new latest. As you've probably learned all year, I really take my drinking of coffee seriously. <laughs> so I have my new latest gizmo. Now that the uh, weather's colder, I invested in a... Um, $37 on, you know, Amazon, an electric uh, milk frother. So I have been able to um, add a frothed, you know, coconut milk to my normal coffee that I brew. Um, but more importantly, it makes an awesome cup of hot cocoa. Um, and I have three kids, and let me tell you how much they love it. It was, you know, one of those, the, the frothing, it's like, you know, you're going to a cafe, basically, and, and having a barista do it. So that's my latest. Um, but, you know, just coffee with the, with the coconut milk, uh, but now it's all foamy on the top, so I love it. Isn't that fun? I got an espresso as a birthday gift last year from my daughter and her husband, and it, they bought the the frother attachment with it. They gave it, and it's a separate frother. And I just love you put a little, maybe a half inch. I use one percent milk and cold, and it just foams up, and it just makes everything like a party, doesn't it, Heather? It does. Yeah, it makes you happy, right? <laughs> and you know what? When it's dark in the morning now. <laughs> That's right. And what's interesting is we're t- talking to Otto about picking a quote from a toy manufacturer, and we're talking about our coffee toys. So, Otto, you got us in the, in the mood. Absolutely. Speaking of you, Otto, where are you today? I know you're not in Germany. Where are you today? And what are you drinking that's interesting, Mr. Shell? I'm, uh, no, I'm downtown Detroit, and I'm drinking my regular coffee. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, people need to know that uh, I lived very, very long time in Italy, have a good coffee taste, drink coffee since I'm four or five years old. And mm. quite honestly, there are good coffee shops coming up here in Detroit, very nicely, very fancy. But there's one issue with all the coffees in North America, they are much too much burned. So U.S. people like to have burnt 
bones, which taste ugly for a really coffee taker, yeah, because you you get it in your mouth, but it does not get too so strong into your stomach. So really, I use this call to to reach out to every coffee maker in North America, go to Italy, try to find the right, the right binaries and uh, how it's done, but don't overburn the, the coffee. It tastes ugly. Coffee manufacturers, <laughs> baristas all over the world. We have a plea for help from Otto Shell and GM. He's saying, stop yeah, burning so the damn it, coffee. It's really amazing how they built up their coffee shops, and you have the first taste, and it burns your tongue. It doesn't really taste like coffee, and they like it. And this is something where we can help maybe with this uh, conference calls too. It's, uh, well, Otto, it's, it's, an, it's, an, it's an acquired yeah. taste, but it's not necessarily <laughs> the right acquired taste. Larry? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you, you know, it, it, it's really funny because, you know, Otto says disappointment. Heather says toys. And all of that sounds like too much work and too much disappointment for me. I'm always happy, so... <laughs> we know larry i'm looking at your smile actually i have pictures of all three of you in my notes and you're all smiling so you're all making me happy i can't look at your pictures and not smile and uh, we love this show and larry i'm so glad you're renewing for next year we'll be starting again a new season in january probably so let's get down to business here we're talking about what's driving the automotive industry we're looking rearview mirror and we're looking ahead to the future with three i consider them my giants of automotive because they're so smart and so invested in this industry in so many ways. Larry Stoley at SAP, Heather Ashton at IDC Insights, and we have Auto Shell for IDC Manufacturing Insights and Auto Shell at GM. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'm drinking the usual, and it is boring, but it's refreshing. Cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug with an orange straw, and the orange straw is because it's fall here in New York. It was in the 50s last night. I'm not talking about rock and roll. I'm talking about the temperature. So it's cool and it's crisp and I'm waiting for the leaves haven't turned yet, but maybe any year now they'll turn to beautiful orange and gold and then my straw will be the predictor of the gorgeous colors, but I can only hope. We're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to start our roundtable. We have a lot to talk about. Listen, whether you're in the automotive industry or not, if you own a car or not, you know somebody who does, you see cars on the road all the time, this topic is for everyone. So to our global listeners stay tuned don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial we will be right back michael out Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. SAP is excited to be a co-innovator with the automotive industry as we help automotive and related companies digitally transform their entire industry and disrupt their existing business models. The Future of Cars with Game Changers brings you insights from the people in the driver's seat who are making this happen. We'll delve into industry challenges and solutions that support ecosystem industries, all to help you succeed in transforming your business and business networks for success in the new digital networked age. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top technology and business strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the automotive industry is shaping the future of change for all of us. You're listening to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. 
Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of cars with Game Changers. Indeed, and the future of cars is here, I think. We're already in the future of cars. Speaking today with Larry Stoley at SAP, Heather Ashton at IDC Manufacturing Insights, and Otto Shell at GM. We're going to start the roundtable. We had a really brisk, uh, talking about, well, nobody's drinking tea, but really a brisk, I'm thinking of Lipton, a brisk opening <laughs> segment. We have a lot of time left. We're really ahead of schedule. This is great. Uh, Larry's going to kick off the roundtable, and here are some, some thoughts from Larry. We're going to first talk about connected driving. Larry says, most customers... Most people with cars willingly share data with certain applications. And here's some eye-openers for our audience. China is the most willing to openly share personal and vehicle data. And European drivers are the least open to sharing, followed by the U.S. Those are fighting words, Larry. Why don't you tell us more? Well, you know, it's really interesting to to look at those three extremes. You know, I live in, in the U.S., so that's normal to me. When I look at you know, privacy laws and, and data laws and so on in Europe. I, I can see the, you know, the, the tightness, the, the concern and so on and so forth. And when I look at uh, particularly China and Japan, you see so much more openness. China and Japan are so much more open because they're relatively new in, in the world, if you will, in terms of being connected and being on the edge of technology and so on. So, you know, they, they've moved a lot faster and a lot more willingly uh, in terms of being open and so on and so forth. Europe a little bit slower and North America being in the middle. And, you know, it doesn't really matter. I, I think at the end of the day, everybody, you know, technology is going to drive everybody to the same level of openness, the same level of data sharing, and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, our expectations are shaped by many, many things in this world. And many of the things in this world that shape our expectations in terms of transportation are based upon data. Uh, I can't get to, you know, from point A to point B in an autonomous car without sharing data, not only with infrastructure, mm-hmm. with uh, uh, other vehicles, but I also have to share personal data. How do I pay for this shared vehicle and so on and so forth? So all of that is coming together to really say, you know, data is king. Where have we heard that one before? A thousand mm-hmm. different places. But I don't think anyone ever understood what it was really going to mean in a connected vehicle world. So, you know, it's, it's here. It's, it's, it's going to go a little slower than we might have hoped because of, you know, a lot of, a lot of things that have to be rationalized and put together and standards that have to be put in place. But it's coming and the world is going to be very open, and we have to be very con- be very concerned about how open is it and how secure is it. But it's a necessity. It is going to be indeed. Heather Ashton, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, please. Yeah, that very interesting, Larry. And I, I think you, I like the point you bring up about the um, the different geographies and how those locations are going to really impact the adoption. You know, even from a data perspective. And I would I would take that further to say that I think we are going to see multiple sort of models and levels of comfort with these connected vehicles emerge and, and mature at different stages for you know different locations globally. And um, and those com- and those countries that can be a little more open are going to definitely take the edge of innovation. And they're the ones that then, as you're going to see, probably the industry following them. 
Um, there's a lot of discussion, you know, at the at the state um, or cities level, you know, really about how they who can pair up with them from an automotive OEM or some of these kind of new, newer digital company perspective. And so they're going to be following those the cities that have the you know the most innovative look, but also the, the citizens who are more willing to consume a lot of these different types of data services that you're talking about. So I think it's important to bring up that you know kind of the nuances of the different geographies. Thank you, Heather. Otto Shell, man of the world, tell us, what do you think about this? Yeah, this fits to my comments I did at the DSAG conference a couple of weeks ago in front of 4,500 people. So what IoT brings us are two different things we have to learn about. One is really about transparency. Your product, which was by you presented to one or two customers as a hidden champion, is now viable to everybody, and people can really see what's going in and out, and you are not more the hidden champion. You are transparent. The second, what IoT brings, is completely new, different data models. And uh, here, we, uh, we, when you ask people about what is the data privacy you really want to get for yourself, people cannot answer the question because most of them are already gone. Here in the U.S., everybody is happy that Google shows how long it's far away from your home when you drive home because it connects your data over the days and it knows your ways. Nobody is surprised everybody wants the service. In Europe, this is still not there. And this is a very, very simple explanation why this is what, what Larry described. We talk in Europe about Industry 4.0, about IoT in a way that it's an evolution. You're going to China, they're at 1.0. They don't know anything else. They immediately go into these new technologies. And you have these three kind of um, areas. The one is really the trial and error. The one is the pilot area, which is U.S., and the other one, we are Germans, we Europeans, are research everything until the death, and then when we know that we have evidence for everything, we try to go out. And this kind of different generations, this kind of mixed culture, is exactly what we have to break, so that people need to be more narrowed, more open in what's going on. And I think in one of the show I said, I don't fear about my data being anywhere, because there will be millions and trillions of data, and data will get anonym at a certain point in time, so you are safe in the network. Mm, very optimistic view there. I haven't heard that. Uh, thank you, Otto. Larry, you want to comment on what Heather and Otto added, and then we'll move on? Well, you know, particularly what Otto added, you know, the, the, the fact, you know, I mentioned data security and so on. Those are the types of things that, that we need to be concerned about, but Otto made an interesting point. It's like grains of sand on the beach. How important is anyone to anyone else? So I think, you know, there's, there's security in numbers. Uh, never really thought about it from that perspective, but I like that. And, you know, it's easy to understand that. So, uh, you know, my, my concerns are a little bit assuaged right now. I think so, too. Heather, any thoughts on that? Would you agree? No, I definitely think, yeah, that the, the value of the data is, is the whole, right, versus the individual pieces. And so I think yeah. we all do need to work together. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also, I also like what Otto said, though, about the, um, the protection, you know, because that is the single biggest. All of our surveys always indicate from an IoT perspective that, you know, the privacy security, that is a, the biggest sort of stumbling block. And I really like Otto's, you know, forward-thinking, you know, view that we're, we'll be protected as a, as a group. There'll be kind of that blanket, you know, of the, of the security kind of coming in place to kind of really help protect a lot of these privacy concerns that everyone has today. 
I think the concerns come when you're the grain of sand that somebody is looking for. <laughs> when you're, you're a fugitive or you're on a TV show and they say, where did Heather go? Well, let's go through 5 million people who passed through the Throg's Neck Bridge toll bridge. Let's see if we can find the easy pass from Heather in exactly what time. And can we see a snapshot of what hat she was wearing? Because the person who, I'm not going to say anything more, Heather. You understand. Yeah, uh, I do. Heather, I'm, I'm looking at your notes here and let's move on to another topic. Let's talk about transportation. You say there is an incredible opportunity in terms of transportation within cities to adopt some of the semi-autonomous and autonomous principles of cars. We're talking buses, we're talking subways, we're talking smart sensors. Heather, tell us more. This sounds fascinating. Yeah, I really, I, I really think we're seeing such a transformation going on within cities uh, around mobility, which is, of course, the new word for, you know, transportation, moving a person from point A to point B. And a lot of the um, excitement around the autonomous and semi-autonomous and connected vehicles, we're, we're seeing that play out today already in transportation networks within cities. And so I think that's a great application of this technology. Um, being able to, again, stand at a bus stop or a subway stop and have real-time visibility as a passenger when the next train's coming, you know, any kind of delays, or maybe between a network to understand, should I take the bus or the subway here? Uh, what's better? Or um, even some of these uh, great examples I've, I've seen in India of, you know, car or ride-sharing services that run the same route as the bus, or, but they're a shuttle that can be called on demand, almost like a taxi. You know, so, so just these different types of models that are being tested in some of these, you know, early kind of cities that are really embracing, you know, the, the connected vehicle ideas and what that's going to then kind of transfer eventually into for, for cars. Interesting. The idea of, of, yes, of having following the bus route. Very, very interesting. Otto, talk to us. What's your view on this? Yeah, you know that I'm sometimes really strange thinking, but we are having autonomous driving since 150 years when we go into a train. No? So at the end of the day, it's a translation from a train um, on the street. And but, but the point is really that when you go into the uh, environment at the moment and you read a lot, everybody is coming out and say, we need to do this, we need to do this. But what, what I really don't see at the moment is the, the tension of the willingness to work this out together because this is not something which one supplier, one OEM, one stuff can do. It, it's really about connecting the dots and to make sure that everybody gets awareness what's going on in the market. Yeah, unfortunately, um, just a, a friend had an accident with a car. We read about what happens with autonomous driving. So we start mm-hmm. to receive the messages versus getting into the, in the new messages. What does it bring to us? And, and that is really what we should drive, the more positive ways of rethinking. That's my very simple view on this. Thank you very much, Larry Stoley. Thinking about transportation, what are your thoughts? Well, you, you know, it, it's interesting. You know, you've been in the airport, and airports have these trains that connect terminals, and, you know, mm-hmm. you see the sign above them that say next train in 30 seconds and so on. You know, if you think back to the one of the original uh, kind of autonomous vehicles, trains, for example, uh, the telegraph, you know, had a lot to do. You know, the, the telegraph told when the train left the station, and when it was going to arrive, you know, uh, could be determined at the next station and so on and so forth. So, you know, a, a lot of that is, you know, technology has allowed us to do things better, faster, and, and, and more efficiently, but the ideas are hundreds of years old, if you will. So I, I think um, 
you know, all of this is, is coming together. But Otto makes a, a, a very good point. Heather makes a good point in terms of, of cities and so on and so forth. There, there are two forces at work, you know, um, and, and one of those forces is the laggards that we all are in terms of accepting and pushing forward and agreeing on standards. And I think that's going to be one of the, the, the key things that's going to slow this process from what it could be uh, in, in terms of adoption. So just, just getting the agreements and the cooperation and the collaboration to make this all happen is, is probably the most challenging difficulty we have. It's not the technology. It, it, it's not how we do that. It's that we do it. Thank you, Larry. Interesting. Um, good, good thread here. Heather, anything you want to wrap up on this? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. It's that the technology is, is here. It's just a matter of how we're applying it. And I would say that I think what we're going to see in the short term is industry groups working across, so co-opetition within an industry group, um, circumventing some of the sort of regulations and some of that kind of red tape. We saw that with the auto braking, right, passing that um, it, it, that law or that agreement into effect. It wasn't a law. It's an agreement that's going to actually bring it to market a couple of years faster than, than waiting for the federal, you know, in the U.S., the federal kind of government to kind of state what the regulation should be. So I think you're right. We're going we're gonna to have to see that collaboration working across you know, the aisle to, to different um, potentially competitors, but working together toward a common goal of trying to really forward this technology that, as you know, Otto and Larry have both said, have, has existed for many, many years. Are you actually talking about collaboration, Heather? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, competitors collaborating. What a thought, if only. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. I have a very provocative question here from Mr. Shell. Uh, I'm just going to throw the question out. He poses it, and I'll let him answer it. He asks, in the, in the world of autonomous, driverless, self-driving vehicles, however you want to call them, does a four-year-old child need a driver's license if they're in the autonomous vehicle? And what happens if there's an accident? Who pays the fine? Very provocative. So assumption here, Otto, is that the child is alone in the driverless car and the parent has trusted that car to get that child from point A to point B. Why don't you tell us the rest of the story, Otto? Yeah, the, uh, as you can imagine, I'm doing a lot of sessions at the moment in this kind of Internet of Things world around about everything what can be uh, going into a kind of artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and at the moment when you talk to people in, in, in my environment and they're really far away there are two blocking items one blocking item is governance which is not able to set rules and the second blocking item don't joke it's economics and the rules of economics so like how do you how do you really account for services we are having six uh, very old accounting rules that don't apply to the new world of digitalization of uh, services, as Larry pointed out in the beginning. But when I took the example of the four-year-old child, it's, it's very simple. At the end of the day, when we talk about autonomous, and we talked about this in the past, it will help a lot of people uh, to, to come to points where they couldn't come get alone. Kids to childhood, to, to, to school, mm-hmm. uh, older people which are not which cannot move alone because they're handicapped, they can go for shopping, they can go for outside sitting at the riverside, which they couldn't do before. But all those people don't have a license. And uh, you know rules are, no? so you need to do a license in US at 16, in Germany with 17, then 18, then you can drive faster cars with 21. 
motorcycles have different lives. So how should this world, who is ruling this at the moment? And nobody cares, cares about this at the moment. But at the end of the day, when we talk about services, exactly this will be the, the money Larry was talking about in the beginning, having a four-year-old kid in the car, which means it's playing already on, on their smartphone or their pets. Yeah, make make also money with the with the games, make money with ordering uh, an mm-hmm. ice cream, driving the car. So there are a lot of things which we we have to take into consideration. But everybody is pushing this discussions, which will take longer than having a car driving autonomous at the moment into consideration. And when you talk about areas like like Europe, you have x thousand of countries which need to align these rules. Because otherwise, you are blocked at the border to go from one country with the other with an autonomous car. And even in Germany, where you have the different states, similar like here in the U.S., you may be blocked from one state to the other because either you don't have a license or you cannot even pay the fine for an electric car because there are different rules for the utilities companies. So all these kind of things I put with the simple uh, statement in question, is somebody working on this? Is somebody preparing the field for getting these things done? The answer, what I see, official no. They may do this in their in their offices because they don't want to get out provocative, otherwise they will lose their power at the moment. But we should think about this, how this will work, because those people, which are four at the moment, are 14 in 10 years, and everybody's talking about autonomous in 10 years. Thank you. Very interesting and very provocative. Otto, Larry, let's circle around to you. Do you know any four-year-olds who are going to be uh, sitting alone in a driverless car anytime soon, eating ice cream, playing games, and generating a lot of income for a whole bunch of, of services, from services? That's kind of interesting, you know, because the first thing that has to happen is there has to be some parental acceptance of such a thing, right? Mm-hmm. And just because we can, does that mean we should? And you know, I keep going back to that, that kind of thinking, uh, just because we can, should we? And I think parents are going to have a, a lot of control over over those things. I think it's potentially a game changer. Uh, I think it's potentially a great thing. I, and, you know, it's even greater when you think about, because with young kids, it's taking a burden off parents, right? With With older people, it's about sustaining their life and so on and so forth, where they might not you know, be necessarily able to do the things they need to do. So it's it's wonderful there. And, you know, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but, you know, Otto brought it up, you know, this is all about digitalizing money and paper currency, all the things we've grown up with, all the things we trade and invest and, and think about today. Are they really the currency of the future? And it's very difficult for me to say that. Because I'm an old guy, and change is hard for me. But, you know, there are other things that are going to go on driven by the connected world. So uh, it's bigger than cars. It certainly is. Heather Ashton, love to get your thoughts on this very interesting topic. Yeah, it really is bigger than cars, definitely. And I do think that um, I think that we're going to have to spend the next decade as we move toward these autonomous vehicles, understanding and you know who is going to hold you know responsibility. And I think that we'll start you know with something as simple as the insurance industry having to work with the automotive 
um, the OEMs, essentially. I can see a future where, you know, the OEMs are, um, they're the vehicle operators. They're the ones that are actually putting out these fleets of cars that are picking up and dropping off minors and elderly and, and potentially, you know, disabled um, adults. And they will have to maintain then maintain that kind of, you know, insurance or the, the responsibility such that if something happens, where do you turn? Um, so I do see that, you know, we will, I believe we have, will have the time because it is not, you know, imminent in the next five years. It's 10, 15 years out. We'll have time to, to develop the business models necessary. And I can say that um, from some of the OEMs I've spoken with that they're already working on this in their finance and insurance, you know, departments. They're, they're already thinking kind of forward looking, you know, where, where are we going to be in, you know, in, in X number of years at, at a dealership level, um, you know, and how do we play in this economy where it's all about mobility and therefore, you know, what is the new kind of business model? What's the new reality? So I do see that, you know, happening. Um, but I can say personally that um, already today we have, you know, we have drivers in, in the, the town that I live in that take kids to sports, um, like the limo services, essentially. Um, so I can definitely see a time and a day where, you know, an autonomous vehicle will be doing that. And if I, if my children were, were at that age in 10 years, which they won't be, they'll be driving their own cars. Um, I mm-hmm. would certainly sign up for that service. <laughs> so. Very, in- very, very interesting. Very, uh, I keep using the word provocative, but I think that's what we're talking about. Let's turn to Otto. Thoughts on, yes, what do you think? Yeah, I would like to have more of this kind of positive feedbacks. And uh, and, and quite honestly, um, there are a lot of established round circles talking about this, but they don't change. So, and I think if we, we can get one achievement with what we are doing here in this call, and when we see provocative, it's also positive provocative. Mm-hmm. Let's make the change. Put the right people into the boards. Let's put the right people into governance, wherever it's needed to make this positive change because we have to think about it in a way that the, the cake is really big enough. It's not somebody can take it. And to be quite honest, we need to be, if we want to really influence, we need to be fast because one observation is clear. Governance and all of the world's lost already power when you see the big IoT companies. Yeah, when you see the amounts they are spending, how spend money to get into the markets, these are sometimes a quarter, half, or even full-time of a one-year's budget for a country in the middle size. So they lost already the power, and they still believe they have it. If they don't jump on fast, all the power will be taken away, and companies, and I have to say it, like Uber, they are successful because they don't take borders. They just try until somebody says stop, and nobody has stop, says stop at the moment because mm-hmm. they are so selfish in talking to each other and not seeing what's going outside of the world. We have a one-time chance to change this with the right people in place. Wow. Okay. Thank you very much, Otto. I'm going to circle around to, uh, let's see where we are. Heather, I'm going to pull up a topic from your notes here. We still have time. Let me read this, another provocative statement. You say, when we think of connected and autonomous vehicles, the focus is still largely on the consumer car. However, it is likely we will see adoption of autonomous vehicles from commercial applications first, including trucking, mining, construction, and other heavy vehicle industries. And where is it going after that? Heather, why don't you expand this for us, please? 
Certainly. Um, in fact, we're actually working on our, um, our annual predictions at IDC, where we, we have a series of uh, predictions about all the different technology adoption areas, and, and a, a large number of them are available to the public. You don't have to necessarily be a, a subscriber, so I would encourage people to look into this. And we're doing one all around connected vehicle, and one of the predictions I'm making is about platooning, and, um, and platooning is, is the, um, well, it's used in a number of different ways, but for this you know, discussion here, taking um, tractor-trailer trucks and having them drive 50 feet apart across um, the, the interstate highways, essentially, to increase the fuel efficiency, to increase, um, you know, fill the truckloads, um, so that's better efficiency in terms from a supply chain and logistics perspective, and um, for safety as well, to keep the, the drivers being able to, um, you know, safely kind of move goods from point A to point B. Um, so, so we're already seeing tests of, of this in Europe and the U.S. They've been working on it for a number of years. And I feel that that is one of the areas that we're going to see this semi-autonomous um, become, again, from a regulation perspective, um, accepted and uh, put into use relatively quickly. And so those are the types of applications, again, that, as Otto said, you know, that try and learn. Um, we're going we're gonna to use those early, you know, examples. Again, these will be regulated. It will be, you know, controlled to be able to see how it works in the environment and then be able to kind of make plans going forward for, you know, individual cars eventually. Very interesting. Otto, thoughts about uh, the different different uh, industries that can use this technology? This, this, is also, uh, this is a story for 500 of these conferences because the different industries are not talking to each other. So uh, when I when I work outside in, in with industries together, some of them still believe they they don't have to change and like the chemicals. And I tell them, can you imagine you put an extruder in front of a 3D printing? You really need to change what's going on. So I think the 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 point here is always the same. There there will be no stone on the other stone when we go into this and do it in a positive way. So it, it will have certainly impact on insurance industry. Banking is already in discussion when you talk about blockchain and all those kind of things. It will have influence on utilities. No? Uh, we talked about in, in one of our last sessions, what does it mean to, to, to oil and gas if everything is electrified? Uh, what does it mean autonomous going to a gas station? No? So there will be a lot of lobbies also to be broken up here. And I, I think this 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 kind of radio shows are not ruling the world, but we can set some signs outside. And and really, if they don't work really close together, what will not happen is what we all have in, in vision when we are talking about visionary, how to get this to a better place for, for also people. Yeah, When we talk about autonomous, it means for, uh, for cities like New York that you don't need this thousands of caps. You may be needing a 10% of the caps you have right now because the traffic is sorted. Most of the reason why you have so much caps is there is traffic jam in the town and uh, you need so much caps to pick up the passengers. Let's assume you get it sorted out like in the picture of Brio with, an, uh, with the putting everything in a nice place. You need 10% of the caps. This means mm. what are the people doing? So this kind of thinking we need to to involve more and more. And to your question, Bonnie, when we all work together, we will get it done very soon in, a, in, in the next 10, 20, 30 years. If we don't get it done together and we do this in the silos we are used to, winners, uh, there will be a few winners, but a lot of more losers. That's my mm. point. Mm. 
that's the sad truth. I agree, Otto. Larry and, and Heather agree with Otto on his, well, we're not in predictions yet, but Larry thoughts on what Otto predicted about working together to get it done faster versus not so much. What do you think, Larry? Well, let, let's think about that for just a minute. I mean, mm-hmm. we, it's bigger than cars. It, it's bigger than autonomous. When you think about what Otto talked about in terms of taxis, what Heather talked about in terms of ride-sharing and so on and so forth, logistics, you know, the, the truck drivers, are. how many of those are we going to take out of the workforce, if you will, with fully autonomous fleets, fleets of vehicles? I can see these 18-wheelers in train going down the highway, fully autonomous, no driver there, and so on and so forth. I can see that. There are a lot of people, however, that used to drive those trucks. What are they going to do? Mm-hmm. So it's bigger than cars. We have opportunities abounding. So even as Otto and, and Heather say, we've got to collaborate and work together, it's bigger than cars. The collaboration and the need to work together is bigger than automotive. It's in the education world, the retraining world, and so on and so forth. So, you know, IoT, connectivity, is just taking our world and turning it inside out. You heard it first, kids. <laughs> You're absolutely right. We do a series called The Internet of Things with Game Changers, and we have futurists like uh, Frank Diana on the show from TCS and Gray Scott, the founder of, of SeriousWonder.com. And, and I haven't heard anybody say it quite as dramatically as you, Mr. Stoley, so have another cup of Folgers. I actually like it a lot. Let me turn to – let me see if we can squeeze in one more quick topic here. I'm going to go around the table, but it's something in Otto's notes from a previous show, and I I'm going to give you each a, an opportunity to chime in. He talks about car manufacturers we do not yet know. And Otto gave us the example of the German post office acquiring the manufacturing side of a small electric car, leading to the question, who else will produce vehicles or mobility? Otto, you want to expand on that just briefly, and then we'll see if Larry has any examples of who don't we know yet who will be a car manufacturer. And Heather, and then we'll move quickly into predictions. Larry Stoley, I'll let you take this one. Car manufacturers we do not yet know. I know you have something to talk about oh yeah i mean you know we've seen the the work of tesla and so on and and how they're actually you know getting a foothold now we see companies like the former fisker which is now karma we see faraday uh future as as a car manufacturer you you see all those things you see you know auto talked about the german post and they're creating their own vehicles specialized for their delivery needs and so on and so forth. I think on small scales, we're going to see a lot of unique boutique types of creations that are suited to task. Uh, you won't see the one-size-fits-all things like we see now. I think we'll, we'll see a shift to suitability to task type of development or suitability to specific customers. Uh, you know, the, the lot size of one notion, uh, build a car for me, not for anybody else. I think we'll see that coming. I, I don't think it will be necessarily mainstream, but we're going to see it. And, you know, it's going to have an impact on, on things. And if it's a good impact, it'll grow. And if it's uh, uh, not for me, uh, then we'll see, you know, limited growth and, and more specificity. But it's coming. It's here. I agree. Thank you very much. Otto, you're back with us. I hear you're back on the line. Otto, we're talking about car manufacturers we do not yet know, and you gave us an example in a previous episode of the German Post Office. Any more you want to add to that example, Otto? Now, the example shows how fast the market is changing, Yeah, so that, that, that you now, if you are big enough as a 
company, you can produce your own star cars for your own service delivery. And others needed more than 100 years to come into a efficient production. I think that is showing how it how it works, and how more important is that that we work closely together to get a kind of governance, a kind of meta model together, so that we allow this on one side, but on the other side, make sure that even old-fashioned cars like uh, like an old-timer works with these cars going on the street. Otherwise, uh, we will have uh, chaos, and this is not something we want to envision. Heather, you want to tell me quickly, please? Um, I just was going to say that, yes, all of the, we're definitely going to see more, um, more different companies move in. I think we're also going to see from the automotive OEM perspective, the tier one suppliers coming in and actually coming out with a whole car platform um, that can then be customized to, to Larry's point of the lot size of one. Um, and they're going to basically white label it to technology companies, to, um, to Amazon. I mean, you know, you're, uh, don't, I wouldn't rule that out. Amazon's got Prime Air coming up now. Now I wouldn't, mm-hmm. you know, rule out them having some kind of transportation um, to move their packages beyond the drones and the air when they need to get on the ground. Going to be surprised. Let's do predictions. I'll give you each. We have less than a minute each. Larry, uh, you can have one minute because it's your series, and then we'll do a quick 45-second prediction from Heather and then Otto. Larry, predict for me. For me, the prediction is it's coming. Autonomous vehicles are here. They're going to be here, and there's nothing we can do about it. But they're going to come a little bit slower than socially or politically correctly or environmentally we may want, but they're here, just going to be a little slower than we might think, all because of collaboration. Thank you. Good word. Heather Ashton, time for your prediction. What do you see? You can have a whole minute, Heather. One whole minute. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is interesting, Bonnie. You're going to take a note of this, I'm sure. Um, Car ownership is changing. I know you like to drive your car. Um, I, I see a future in the not-too-far-distant future where how would you like to drive a different sports car every weekend or a different sports car every week? Oh, so oh, car ownership oh. is changing to the point where you're going to be able to lease on a weekly basis, on a daily basis. It's going to be some of this kind of rental ride share, car share, and you know it's going to open up a world of possibilities, but it's also going to reduce or eliminate, again, that notion of having an asset that sits for 22 hours a day in your garage. Um, so I think there's going to be some, you know, some fun down the road for those of us who like to drive. Wow. I, you, you, Heather, you got me. You got me, actually. <laughs> wow. I'd like a couple of vintage of this and that. I, you know what? It reminded me, I, I just had uh, an eye exam, and they said to me, do you want to switch to daily contact lenses? And I said, no, I really don't need to wear them. I wear my glasses because I work from a home office most of the time. But I'm thinking daily contacts, weekly car changes. Oh, be still. my Heather, you put joy in my heart. Thank you, my dear. That was lovely. Otto, 45 seconds, predict for me. Or one minute, Otto. You can have a minute. Go ahead. Yeah, going back to the initial quote, our products stimulate children of all ages. And that's about, let's let's look into the opportunities we can get. Yeah, I, I At the end of the day, people want to get seamless from A to B. At the end of the day, people want to get seamless to meet other people and, and having fun. And whatever brings autonomous, whatever brings service, whatever gets into the car to make your life easier, we should open our eyes to and, and not go back and say, okay, we don't want this because it, it will come. And as soon as we uh, get the eyes open, we are in the driving seat to make the change. Uh, this is the one-time opportunity for for the, let's say, for the old industries, which are going through this kind of evolution 
to make the change and, and to work on it. And that is all what I am about. I don't want to get in 10 years saying, okay, we have missed a chance and the Chinese people are getting much better, much more advanced. It's our chance to make the change. Thank you, Otto. Very well put. I can't thank the three of you enough. This has been lively. Larry, I think we exceeded our expectations. Lively and interesting, informative, provocative. Great panel. I'm looking forward to working with you again next year, Larry Stoley. So I know you're coming back with Season 2 of The Future of Cars with Game Changers. Larry Stoley, Heather Ashton, Otto Shell. What a power-packed panel, i got to say. The three of you really, really bring it, and I really appreciate all you've contributed to this wonderful series this year. So without further ado, I'll thank Michael, our engineer at World Talk radio the business channel and i'll say a shout out and how appropriate is my call to action on a show about cars fasten your seat belt i want a designer seat belt heather i want something that's really you know it morphs it has little sensors and it matches what i'm wearing i'm mostly wearing black but that's okay sparkly you know we got to come up with a fancy seat belt and i'll take it in all the cars i lease on a weekly basis that'll be good <laughs> fasten your seat belt i can dream what are you waiting for go out and be a game changer today have a great one bye bye Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.